Open to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, and we will be starting at verse 1 and reading through verse 23. Today our focus, however, is going to be found in verses 19 and 20. As we have been going through this Colossian hymn or this Colossian creed, we are going to, we're coming to the end and we are going to be focusing specifically on verses 19 and 20. But before we start, let us pray for God's blessing. Father God, you have blessed us with your holy infallible and inerrant word you have carried men along by your spirit to give us your words and these are the words of life finding their fulfillment in Christ Jesus and for our good today so Lord we pray and humbly I pray Lord for your spirit's blessing and presence in such a way Lord that it transforms us to make us more like your son Jesus Christ in whom we find a wealth. A wealth of blessing, a wealth of growth, of gifts found in Christ Jesus. So Lord, we bow our knee to you, our maker, our defender, our author. This we pray in Jesus' word, name, amen. Hear these words. Paul, an apostle, of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae grace to you and peace from our Lord from God our Father we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of 
the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in Him He might be preeminent. And now our focus. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. So we draw to a close today our intensive study of Colossians 15, 1, 15 through 20, which is some kind of first century hymn or creed that the church used to, to center itself on Christ and Him crucified. And this passage for us has been gold. It's been gold for me at least. And it captures the core of the core. The core of the core. It's one of the most Christ-centered passages in all the New Testament. And hopefully you'll remember what we've learned. And if not, here's your refresher course. In verses 15 and 16, we learn that everyone glorifies Christ. And it's simply a matter of how you glorify Christ. It's either by confessing Him as Lord and Savior, and, or by receiving the due penalty for your rebellion. It's one of those ways, either by confessing Him as Lord and Savior or receiving the due justice for your rebellion. In verses 17 and 18, we learn that He holds all things together. And we need to confess our absolute dependency by saying, Lord, I'm dependent on You. And we need to be able to say, Lord, I'm absolutely inadequate. Therefore, I need Your power. And we need to be able to say, Lord, here's my allegiance. I, I need you more than anything else, Lord. You are it. There is none like you. And I've tried to help you see that you do not make Jesus Christ the core. He simply is the core. You do not need to say, oh, I, I recognize today he's the core. No, he, he has always been and he always will be the core. And I've tried to help you embrace the fact that you are absolutely dependent and you are powerless. And these are great first steps, but that is not all. We, all of us, need to learn to trust Jesus. Trusting Jesus begins knowing that you need help. It, it begins by acknowledging that your biggest problem is you. But it doesn't stop there. You see, knowing that you cannot make it on your own without any direction will lead you absolutely hopeless and leave you despairing. And that's not the way that God wants us to live at all. Many of us tried to kind of live, if you will, the Nike way, right? Just, what is their motto? Just do it, right? Just do it. But the reality is, is that does not work. The real problem with most of us is that we try to just do it when we should be saying, I can't do it. 
The heart of Christianity is realizing this and learning how to trust Jesus in all things. The problem with the church in Colossae was that they were starting to trust in other things rather than Jesus, the core. They were subtly drifting from Christ and becoming more focused on other things. They were focusing on knowledge. They were focusing on spiritual disciplines. They were focusing on man-made rules. They were focusing on mysticism. They started to trust in add-ons, additional things. And they were beginning to miss the Lord Himself. They were infatuated with the means of ministry and they were neglecting the Master Himself. So Paul closes him or this creed with a clear reminder that the most pressing problem that mankind has ever faced was the real separation from God. And Jesus was able to accomplish the grand plan of reconciliation and we could not do that. Only Jesus could. So this morning I want to show you Paul's view of this exalted Christ and why Jesus Christ is worthy of your trust. This is not a sermon just for those baby Christians or those who are searching. It is a message for all of us because we need to relearn and constantly remind ourselves, I need to trust in Jesus. I have been this week drifting my eyes, my focus, my life off of Christ and back on me, thinking I am adequate. I am able to do it. But we need to remind ourselves, I'm dependent. I am inadequate. And Lord, I need you. So this morning, we are going to see why Jesus is worthy of your trust. First, we see that he is fully God. Jesus is fully God, therefore he is infinitely powerful. Jesus is worthy of your trust simply because of the fact that he is God. There is no one who is more powerful than Christ, and he is worthy of your trust. Verse 19 begins with, in him, identifying that Paul is going to describe what Jesus is really like, what his substance is, and and who Jesus is. In him is not a reference, not a reference this time to the, the realm of Christ that we saw in verses uh, 4 and 6. This time, Paul is explaining what Jesus Christ is all about. What is the core of Christ? He is fully God. And the core of Christ in his divinity, or the reality that, uh, about Christ, is that he is completely Fully God. And the text says, all the fullness of God. This phrase is just loaded, loaded, chock full of just great material. The word full or fullness is just used throughout the entire New Testament. And listen to some examples. It's describing of a patch to fill up a gap in a ripped garment. It is, it is, describes a leftover fragments that, are, are filled, that filled up the baskets in one of Jesus' miracles. It was filled and overflowing, right? It, it also describes the way that Gentiles are fully included into the family of God. Not partially, but completely. They are completely included into the family of God. It describes the manner in which the love, love fulfills the law of God. 
It describes the right time, the fullness of time for which Jesus came to be born. In the fullness of time, Christ was born. It describes Christ's inexhaustible resource of grace that we receive. You can hear that in John 1.16. From His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. It describes the manner in which believers can be filled with all the fullness of God through the knowledge of Christ. And that is from Ephesians 3.19. So this word full is so much more powerful and loaded than we, than we normally think when we use it. Oh, I'm full, right? It, it, it's much more of a, of a statement of fact. It, it, it is a celebration of saturation. Think of it this way. It's the difference between saying, I'm so full after going to Texas Roadhouse or Looms. Have you ever eaten at Looms? You get like an omelet like this, and this is their, it's like an omelet burrito about the size of your head, and you walk out of there going, I am so full. But it's different than that. It's like walking out of a Sunday morning service where, where you know that God has shown up in a powerful way and you've sensed God's personal and near presence and you are so deeply satisfied with Him and you say, I am so full. That's the idea here. It's more than just a fact. It's a celebration. It's the stunning realization that God was here. It was for the disciples in in the stillness of the moment when Jesus calmed the storm. You got that picture? The Son, he truly is the Son of God. And he's here. The shock on the faces as, as Jesus embraced a woman, embraced a man who was just moments ago Filled with demons. God is here. It's the moment in the garden when the wind encountered the risen Christ. Face to face. He's here. It's the, the moment on the road to Emmaus when the men's hearts were opened up to the reality that they had been walking with Christ. He's here. He's present. He's fully God. They were in the presence of God Almighty. And that's why this text also says that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The the beauty is twofold. First, it's that Christ was God. And secondly, that Christ was here in person among us. It's the cry of John's heart in John 1.14 basically saying, we saw God. Listen to it. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. The glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So John didn't just write this and just kind of... So uh, we've seen His glory. And we've seen the glory of the Son from the Father, full of grace and full of grace and truth. No. Uh, Can you hear the, 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 the bigness of this statement? We beheld... 
glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We've seen His glory. We've saw Him. We've talked with Him. We've listened to Him. And we were with Him. We were with God. And that's an amazing thing. And just so you know, anytime you want to do the amen again, this is one of those things where you say, let it be. I, yes, Lord. Amen. Okay? Permission. But that is not it here. His deity, his being God, means that Jesus is able to help people like no one else can. And it's directly tied to his power. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. So get this. His power results in you receiving help. And realizing who Jesus is should give us confidence in coming to Him, to trust Him, to ask for help, to plead for help. I was helping Grace uh, walk through uh, her prepare for a Bible uh, test this week, and we, we were looking at uh, the parable of the persistent widow and how this persistent widow an injustice had happened had happened and she went before a kind of a merciless judge and pleaded her case and kept on pleading and kept on pleading and finally he he heard her case and answered it with justice and jesus said if that is true in this case how much more will it be true with me and you and so we have confidence He's full of power, full of power. And we need to have greater confidence in this Jesus. And to do it, we've got to know Him. Therefore, because we know Him, I can have greater confidence that Jesus can, not that He always will, but Jesus can fix anything. He can solve any problem. Why? Because He is fully God. No one is more powerful than God. Therefore, Paul calls us to stop stop trusting in other things and to start trusting Christ. He says in Colossians chapter 2, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. For in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily in other words don't drift from trusting christ he is fully god so we've got the first piece right we got this first piece that says christ is fully god in verse 19 but then it doesn't stop there we go on to verse 20 the first half of uh, verse 20 it says that he brings peace he is the one who fulfilled God's grand plan of reconciliation between God and man. He brought peace, something that no one else could do. Jesus did the absolute impossible, reconciling the creator with the creation. Verse 20 begins with, through him. So the description here is no longer a focus on who Jesus Christ is, but rather a focus on what he has done. Verse 19 reminds us as to who Jesus is. Verse 20 reminds us what he did. And what did he do? Jesus brought reconciliation. Now, the word reconciliation basically means to change. And in this case, it means to change from enmity or hatred to friendship. 
from fractured to healed, from being separated to being united. So Jesus' reconciliation brought about the possibility of God and man being together again. That's what Jesus came to do. So I don't want to assume that everyone knows why reconciliation is necessary. So I'm just going to lay it out there. The Bible tells us that God, as we have learned in Exodus, that God is absolutely holy, right? And we, we, we dare not even enter into His presence. We, we cannot even bear the sight of God because His holiness is too great for sinful man. And the reality is not only is God holy, but we are sinful. And the result is a spiritual separation from God that if unresolved, would lead to eternal damnation in hell as the just punishment for our sins. But here's the other thing. You cannot make self-atonement and pay for your own sins because every sin, every sin requires death. And we have all sinned, many, many times. So the only way for reconciliation between God and mankind is for a sinless person to die so that his death can be applied to us. And that is what Jesus did. He, his death, created a pathway for our reconciliation to God. And he did what you and I could never do. He did the impossible. And that, friends, should lead you to greater worship, greater adoration. I, I'm responding to, God did something for me, something that I could never do, even on my absolute best day, my most holy day. I could never accomplish this. God sent his one and only son, gave him for me. He was a sinless man, made, made flesh, became my sacrifice provided a pathway for being united with God. So the extent of his peacemaking is absolutely amazing. Verse 20 says that he brought it to everything, whether in heaven or on earth. In other words, the problem is not just human beings. The entire creation has been affected by the curse of sin. The earth groans under the weight of sin. And Jesus' reconciliation power knows no limits and knows no boundaries. He is taking every created thing and bringing it underneath His banner, lordship and power. His work of reconciliation was initiated by His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And friends, the final battle has been fought, the final battle has been won, but the signing of full surrender on the part of the has not yet happened. And we can see that in Paris, right? But friends, make no mistake about it. It is just a matter of time. Jesus did the impossible, and thank God that he did the book of Revelation captures for us when the 
impossibility and the hopelessness of our sin is broken by the worth of Christ as he embraces what seems to be impossible. Listen to these words. And then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And behold, between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw the Lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, and with it are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open his seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you were ransomed for the people of God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the the living creatures and and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is a lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen! And the elders fell down and worshipped. Do you see it? Can you feel it? The impossibility of, of any solution and the hopelessness of no answers, the reality of the coming judgment, the panic of God's power is suddenly solved by the Lamb who was slain here. And He brought peace. And this is the great thing about Jesus. He makes the impossible possible. He can bring hope to the hopeless and joy to those who thought that they would never laugh again. He can heal the brokenhearted. He can restore the weary. He can bring security in absolute despair. He can bring peace amidst the storm. He can bring forgiveness where there is bitterness and reconciliation where there are years of separation. He can do what no one can do. But there's one more thing that will help us 
understand why he is worthy to be trusted. The second half of verse 20 shows us that his sacrifice is absolutely sufficient. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross was the sufficient means of accomplishing reconciliation. In other words, it works. It works. Notice two words that stand out in verse 20. Blood and cross. Both both are stunning terms when you consider Christ. Blood is stunning because it indicates the human trauma of death. In the Bible, blood is absolutely precious because it is viewed as a life-giving source. The sight of blood is even scary to little children because they know that it is important and it is not, it, it is not normal to have blood outside of your body. Even my rough-and-tumble son knows that. When he gets even just a small cut and it bleeds, there is a look of terror on his face. So the fact that blood is mentioned here is just another connection to Jesus' human suffering. But the other word here is cross. The cross for us here today in 2015 and since Christ's death is kind of this cherished emblem to us. It's, it's a symbol of, but it's really a symbol of humiliation and dishonor in New Testament times. Death on a cross is to suffer severe shame. But we wear it proudly on little lapels but no one cherished the old rugged cross in Jesus' day the cross represented exposure shame humiliation and death but put the two together Jesus suffered and he was humiliated and yet those two things brought about peace the bloody cross positioned between God and man did something but it did something else too the bloody cross of Christ demonstrates that there is value in humiliating suffering when ultimately God is the target it's also a sufficient model Uh, Sufficient as a model for how we are to live as brothers and sisters in Christ who have been purchased by the blood of Christ, who have been blood of Christ and been redeemed by the work that's been done on the cross. Which is why Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus' suffering became a sufficient means of bringing peace. And it is a sufficient way for us to live. Do you see how worthy Jesus Christ is? He is fully God. He brings us peace. His sacrifice was absolutely sufficient. And all those things make Him worthy of your trust today. Your trust tomorrow. Your trust when everything else looks like it's falling apart. You can say, Jesus, I trust you. In the 1990s, the moniker for for Nike was just do it. While this phrase works really well for selling shoes, it's a terrible way to live. 
just do it doesn't work from a spiritual perspective. And the book of Colossians was written to people who were just trying to find new ways apart to Christ, to, to just do it. Admitting our inability to do things on our own, to, to say, I can't do this, is the first step. We need more than that. We need to realize that Jesus is absolutely worthy of our trust. We need to agree with the writer who said this, It is so sweet to trust in Jesus and to take Him at His word. Just to rest upon His promise and to know Thus says the Lord. Yes, tis sweet to trust in Jesus just from sin and self to cease, just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. We need a new theme. Rather than being just do it people, we need to be Jesus can. The result will not be some let go and let God kind of mentality or mantra. Please don't ever say that to me. Well, I'm going to let God. But we need a firm belief that trusting in Jesus is a choice. And I am asking for this kind of help. And there's there's a lot that I, I need to do, but I'm not going to do this alone. So I want you friends, to be Jesus-can people. No, no matter what your challenge is today, I want you to be Jesus-can people. Paul, I'm an awful sinner and I, I can never pay for my sins. You're right. Jesus can. Paul, I've made such a mess of my life and I can't fix what I've done. You're right. Jesus can. Paul, I've been so hurt and I don't have the power to even think of loving them, let alone forgiving them. I can't even create love for them. You're right. But you know what? Jesus can. Paul, I have a friend with really, really deep issues and I don't even want to share them because they are so deep. I don't even know what to, to say and, and I don't think that I can help them. And you're going, I'm going, yeah, you're right. You can't. But Jesus can. Paul, our son won't listen to us. His heart is hard. I can't get through to him. You're right. But Jesus can. Paul, life is too hard and the pain is too real. I can't do this again. You're right. Jesus can. Paul, I'm so confused. My problems are so complicated and challenging. I can't figure out what to do. And the response is, Jesus can. You see, there is none like him. No one is more worthy of your trust. There is no one more powerful than our Christ. And you need to believe that and you need to ask Him to help you trust Him.
Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, for grace to trust him more. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word today. I thank you that we are reassured that you are absolutely trustworthy. So Lord, I pray for our hearts and I pray for, for a grace to trust you more. Lord, so many of us are ministering to people who are lost and broken and just an absolute mess and our our hearts and our minds say, I can't do this. I don't know what to say. Lord, would you remind us that we need gr grace to trust you more? That Christ is able to minister and speak into this situation to heal the brokenhearted, bind up those who are wounded. And God, would you also help us to remember, give us the grace to trust you more in our own situations where we are scared and lost and don't know where to turn and we find ourselves despairing. Lord, help us to trust in you more. Help us to come to the end of ourselves as Savior and to lift high the cross Christ and his, his work of reconciliation. Lord, help us to become a Jesus can kind of people. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.